He's written in Europe, Hong Kong, South Africa, and even Mauritius. Do you even know where Mauritius is? Well, now Italian jockey Umberto Rispoli is making his mark here in the States. We'll chat with him on this show. Plus, they were high school sweethearts. And now, after 48 years of marriage and five decades as owners, Sue and Lee Searing might finally have a legit Kentucky Derby contender. We'll talk with the owners of Honor AP, plus more on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're about to move in. They roll sack. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hit-bombing finish! This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course, in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And if some of those others just happen to be the ninny hammers at America's Best Racing, then they might do this year what they should have done last year. Include us in their Fan Choice Awards for Best Podcast. I'm not crying over spilled milk, mind you, because as Stephen Colbert once said, tomorrow, that'll turn into free yogurt. Japanese baseball player Shohei Otani was considered a rookie when he came to L.A. to join the Angels in 2018, although he'd played five professional years in Japan, and he took Major League Baseball by storm that year. In 2020, it's a guy from Italy, jockey Umberto Rispoli, who's a rookie in California. He, too, brings loads of experience despite his first-year status here, and like Shohei Otani, the payoff has been immediate. Red King on the outside is coming with a menacing rally. Runs right by Ward and Jerry in the center of the course, Siberian Iris. But it's all Red King and Umberto Rispoli pulling away for an authoritative victory in the San Juan Capistrano. That win was Rispoli's first graded stakes win in this country, and it came on Santa Anita's closing day. He'll go for his second in the Bing Crosby on Saturday at Del Mar when he climbs aboard Wild Man Jack. Rispoli also rides long shot Kiss Today Goodbye in the shared belief when they'll take on heavyweights Honor AP and Cezanne. A little later in the show, by the way, we'll chat with one of the co-owners of Honor AP. Thanks to a four-win day on Monday, Rispoli leads the jockey standings at Del Mar as of this recording with 13 wins. He finished third in the Santa Anita standings with 50 wins, trailing just Flavian Pratt and Abel Cedillo in that ultra-competitive jockey colony. It's a good thing for him that he arrived here in the States on December 16th of last year, because if he wanted to come any time this year, it probably wouldn't have been possible. And we are pleased to welcome Umberto Rispoli to win the gate for the first time. First of all, you were one of the 15 riders in California who tested positive for COVID-19 on July 15th. So how do you feel? Uh, Every day I feel great. Even when I was tested positive and in the previous day, I was absolutely good, great. Now, no symptoms. Unfortunately, you know, you have to respect the, the situation. You have to respect the fact that you, have, that you tested positive and you have to stay home. So I was quarantined home uh, myself with, uh, with my family. And then um, that's how I do for the, 
for the during for during the um, the recovering time. But I never feel sick, not even one day. Aren't you glad you came here to one of the countries highly affected by COVID nineteen? <laughs> you know, it, America it's it's a very big country, so. I always ask myself, well, if probably I will keep staying in Hong Kong, am I going to get over there? I don't know. So it's not a problem about a country, but, you know, it's a huge country. It's very difficult to, to make people respecting laws. And America, instead of another country, you have 50 different states, which they think in different ways. So it is what it is. There is so much to that statement that we can't even get into now. It is ridiculous. Now, twice you were champion jockey in Italy, 2009-2010, which earned you a recommendation to American Connections by the legendary Italian writer Frankie Dettori. What has your relationship been like with Frankie Dettori? Well, I think then for every every single kid then uh, you want to be a jockey, your idol has to be Frankie Dettori. On the, or probably on the 90% of the young uh, uh, rookie and starts in our business, they would like to be like Frankie. I was, uh, I was an, an, a crazy fan of Frankie when I was a kid. He knew my family, so that's why we have a, a type of different relationship. He'd been an apprentice for just a couple of a small time in Italy, and then he moved to Newmarket. But um, when I was when I when I growing in during the time I had a chance to to racing against him and learn a lot of things uh, with him. I spent some times with him. I've been in his place in Newmarket, so we have a, a very very good uh, friend friendship out of obviously the the business. But Frankie for for me is uh, is the top of the top. How is it trying to keep up with him? He has so much energy, doesn't he? Oh yeah, it is. It is. I mean, like that's that's proved. And uh, I mean, uh, at his age today, uh, what he still can do it. Uh, he probably is enjoying more now his career than uh, for probably 15 or 20 years ago, because with the time, uh, you know, you're getting older and uh, you you just enjoy because you start to organize what you probably do in the past. Uh, I mean, his name is gonna be all around, everywhere in the world. He's everywhere in the world. And it's going to be like that for forever. So we just can learn from, from a person like Frankie. Certainly helps when you ride horses like Stradivarius and Enable. So Frankie Dettori recommends you to the highly respected longtime jockey agent Ron Anderson. He'd been the agent for a number of now Hall of Fame riders, including Jerry Bailey, Gary Stevens, and Chris Antley, among others. But then in March... Anderson abruptly leaves you to work for another Hall of Fame writer, John Velasquez, as well as Joel Rosario. Scotty McClellan, who thought at the start of the year that he'd be retiring after Joe Talamo moved east, came out of that brief retirement to book your mounts. What was that experience like of switching agents so early on while in a country where you hadn't ridden for very long? Oh well, that's uh, that's a nice uh, that's a nice question because uh, you know I was so excited when I moved to 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 California because we make a plan with Ron uh, at least uh, eight nine months before I came in in US last year in Saratoga and I met him. We make a plan and we we finally decided to to move up in California for the first stint in December. Out of that, I mean, I was I'm starting pretty good. I was um, doing well right away from the day one. He's a great agent. Uh, he's a, probably the best agent I ever worked with. 
and I knew Danny High is a very high respected by the people. So that's why I was um, preparing myself and I was doing very hard at the beginning. But it, it gave me a chance to win um, amount of races, uh, an amount of races like 20, 25 winners in you know, even two months. So it was a great, but definitely when uh, he let me down uh, the, that morning, uh, I was thinking it was a joke. I was laughing when he was telling me that. But, you know, that's the, that's the business. I could understand his decision. I mean, John Velasquez is, a, is, an, is an Hall of Fame jockey. He's a, one of the greatest jockeys in America I had. And uh, I had to respect his decision. His decisions. But on the, on the other side, I was completely lost because I say, well, I'm, uh, I'm in the new country. It's not even three months I'm here. What am I going to do? So finally, I find another legend like Scotty. I get a phone call from Frankie and Frankie say, look, he say, they have two best agents in America. They are Ron and Scotty. So you miss one legend, you find another legend. So just keep going, keep, like, keep doing like you're doing. So I was very happy and I was lucky because Scotty was, uh, he had no jockey at that, uh, at that stage. So, and it was uh, good for me as well to work with an agent and he don't have anybody which you can focus only on yourself. And so far, I'm very grateful that uh, I'm, uh, I'm working with him. I'm not entirely sure he wanted another one when he had Joe Talamo go to the East, but he says that your riding style fits very well here in the States. What do you think he means by that? Honestly, I don't know. Probably because uh, I had uh, so much success on, uh, on the grass and... Obviously, to ride on the grass in America, it's it's not like you ride in the grass in uh, in Europe or in uh, or in Asia. The races there are a lot of speed, and you have to say always try to save some ground. Uh, I would probably say that my experience in Hong Kong helps me a lot to ad- adjust my style to America because Hong Kong and America they are quite same in the way to go with the speed in the race. You have to save some ground, and that's where uh, Hong Kong teach you. So that was a good experience for me in Asia. And probably Scotty, is, uh, he says that because, I mean, uh, so far we can see I win more races on the grass than on the dirt. But at the same time, I never find a good horse as well to prove if I can be good on the, on the dirt or not. So I'm just waiting. We're talking with jockey Umberto Rispoli here on In The Gate. Now, as you've mentioned, you have ridden all around the world, which includes the typical racing hotspots, Europe, Japan. As you mentioned, Hong Kong, you lived there for several years. You've also ridden in South Africa and Mauritius, which, for those who aren't familiar, is a little island out in the Indian Ocean to the east of the larger island of Madagascar, which is off the eastern coast of Africa. What is horse racing like in Mauritius? Well, it was my first experience as uh, when I was apprentice, I've been there for an international uh, jockey challenge, but for the young jockeys. So we were all apprentice and was one of the best experience I have in my life. It's crazy. I mean, the people over there, there is no big prize money, but the people just loving racing. It's, it's a pack of people. Uh, when it's race day, they, uh, there is the fans, they love to go to the track, cheering for horses. And it's crazy when you just won one race. I mean, the people want your goggle, want your whip, and they, and they just keep shouting every race. It was one of the best experiences I have. And then Mauritius is it's a very, very good country. 
for holidays, I, I can suggest everybody, if you have one week or 10 days, you can go to Mauritius because it's one of the most wonderful places in the world. What does a track look like there compared with Europe or here in the States? Well, the track is, um, is a small track going in the opposite way of uh, United States. They close one road, so you, you cross one street <laughs> when, when you're racing. So the, the track is in just in the middle of one road of the Port Louis. And it's, it's, it's a small track, but it's a quite a sharp track because you need to be as, as the same uh, probably as the U.S. You need to save some ground. Came into the straight, you have an open stretch on the inside, which sometimes you can be lucky, you can be unlucky. But, you know, for an island, for a place called... For, for Mauritius, it's a very nice track. Did you say you actually have to cross over a public road as part of the racetrack itself? Yes, you did. You have to. Wow. <laughs> I have to go look <laughs> up some pictures of that. That's awesome. Now, you'll look for your second graded stakes win here in the States when you climb aboard Wild Man Jack in the Bing Crosby on Saturday. I believe this will be your first time riding him. This is a horse that won a turf sprint on Dubai World Cup preview night. Then Wildman Jack came back to the States because he never got to run on the undercard of the World Cup because of COVID-19. And when he came back, he won the grade three Daytona at Santa Anita in May, but then went to Keeneland and was never really involved in the Shaker Town, finishing 13th. Now he switches to dirt. What do you make of Wildman Jack? Well, like you said, I saw his, his uh, performance in Dubai and uh, honestly, it catched my eye because... It's no easy. Dubai is a place where they have uh, all the people around the world moving to Dubai with the best horses for that meeting. So, and his winner was quite impressive to me. And the uh, same as you say, in the Keenan the last time, he didn't. Uh, he was never in the race. Probably something was going wrong there. I have no idea. I haven't seen him, not even once, because of the COVID. So I knew then if Doug, uh, Doug O'Neill wants to move the horse on the dirt, he knew then the horse can handle the, the surface, which this has to be the priority because when you switch from the grass to the dirt, sometimes you have to know, you have to be almost sure that the horse can handle another surface. But the race obviously don't come out as the easiest race ever. I would probably say it's not going to be a, an easy race. It's an open race. And, you know, I always think then you, before to win the race, you have to race first and then you're going to have the results you can't make any plan before now obviously you've never been on this horse but he is a stakes caliber horse he's not a lower level horse so when you get on him how do you start to try to build a relationship with him and see how to push his buttons well the the point is then i think like me and most of the other jockey when you ride on a horse which you've never been on him you you watch a film just to understand what's he like, what he can do, if he, he likes to race from behind or he likes to race from the, from the front. So that's that's the first step he has to do. At least you have uh, an idea about how the horse put himself in the racing. And then, you know, there is no much. You try to be as much as a calm you can, quiet, just relax on the horse. And I think more relaxed you are on the horse, the horse will give you more during the race. Do you have any sort of timetable for how long you plan to spend riding here in the States? I wish as long as I can, because I'm a little bit tired to be a globetrotter going all around the world. I mean, it was good for me because I don't even regret one second of my career. I've been lucky 
and I will, uh, and I'm blessed to be all around the world learning because, you know, in our job, we never stop learning and to work with a different people in a different country, it makes you probably a better jockey and makes you uh, learning a lot of things in our job. So, but I, I mean, I'm 31 going for 32 and I'm wishing then, uh, uh, this is just going to be my my last country, and I plan to stay here for a long time. Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck as you continue to do that. Umberto Rispoli, thank you so much for a few minutes, sir. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling me. Umberto Rispoli will also be riding in the Shared Belief on Saturday aboard Longshot Kiss Today Goodbye. The big horse in that race is Santa Anita Derby winner, Honor AP. We'll talk with his co-owner, Lee Searing, when the In The Gate podcast continues. Welcome back to In The Gate. Authentic makes his move, and so does Honor AP on the outside. Honor AP coming with a big powerful sweeping move on the outside of Authentic and Odor there in the final furlong and Honor AP runs right by Authentic and Odor at the rail and Rushy a 16th to go Honor AP a length and a half Authentic Rushy running on late it will be Honor AP a very impressive winner of the run happy Santa Anita Derby the promise was there just before the COVID-19 shutdown when Honor AP finished second to Authentic in the San Felipe. It was easy to see that the son of Honor Code hadn't just lucked into second place, that there was more there, and it certainly showed in the rematch with Authentic, which because of the pandemic didn't happen until June. You heard the result. Honor AP will go postward for a final derby tune-up this Saturday in the shared belief stakes at Del Mar. That's now a points race to qualify for the Kentucky Derby. Not that points matter anymore to honor AP's connections. They sit third on the list right now. And if you think it's a long time between the June 6th Santa Anita Derby and the run for the Roses, which, as you know, will take place on Labor Day weekend, consider the ride for the owners of honor AP, Sue and Lee Searing, whose nom de guerre is CRK Stable. Mr. and Mrs. Searing were high school sweethearts, now married for 48 years. And since Lee started owning horses when he was 18, Sue has pretty much had to learn to love racing for her entire adult life. And we are pleased to be joined by the lesser half of CRK stable, Lee Searing, for the first time here on In The Gate. You've said before that you're not in this game to win triple crown races necessarily, but you've been doing this for over 50 years. You finally land this big-ticket Colt, $850,000 yearling purchase, and after running them off their feet in October at Santa Anita, Honor AP comes up with a foot bruise over the winter. What did you think then of your chances to make the Triple Crown races? Well, the, the first thing is, is uh, I, I'll answer your first question. I've been doing this for 50 years, and and. You know, I've owned a lot of horses. My first horse, I paid a thousand dollars. It was a horse called Secret Touch, and as I still have his picture here. But we have, uh, since uh, the company has done better since about 1990, I've participated in buying two-year-olds and yearlings. And the idea was is to run in upgraded races, win stake races, develop horses, naturally try to win grade one races because I'm very motivated. I'm a very competitive person. And we've had some really, really good horses over the years. And 
you know, when we buy each year, we've kind of upgraded the, what our plan is. And the plan has been to buy yearlings and to uh, develop them through a training center and then put them on the racetrack. And over that period of time, and this is going to answer your second question, I have a wonderful relationship with David and Gordo, bloodstock agent of Lane's Inn Farm, where Honor AP now has been syndicated. Now, they're part of the story with partners after his racing career is over. But part of that was hiring John Sheriffs as uh, my main trainer. And John Sheriffs is a Hall of Fame trainer, obviously trains in Yada, many, many more unbelievable stakes horses. And he has the majority of CRK stables horses. When Honor AP came up with a foot, it was never going to be a big issue. It was a matter of taking our time and making sure that he was 100% before we ran him. The one thing about John Sheriffs is he's patient and he's good and he's able to bring a horse up to a big race off a layoff. And you saw that the Sanita Derby, he was off quite some time before we ran the Sanita Derby and you saw his performance. So uh, now we're ready to run Saturday and uh, the horse is doing absolutely uh, marvelous. And that'll be our prep race to hopefully all be sound and head for Kentucky in the, in the Kentucky Derby. Well, hold on. Before we even get to the San Anita Derby, there came the uncertainty over whether there would even be a triple crown. I mean, what did you think then? Well, I kind of, I kind of thought well, to have this wonderful horse and be unlucky that they would, you know, maybe not have the triple crown this year, or they might have one race this year. However, you bring up the point about what I'm in this for. If, in fact, there was not a triple crown race, I'm in this with a good horse to run against the best horses in the world. When you have a horse like this, you want to position him to run in those kind of races. And obviously, the first one is the Kentucky Derby. And obviously, the second one could be the Preakness. And the last one could be the Breeders' Cup. And that would be the plan because he's just that talented a horse. Well, take us through your experiences of the two races, the San Felipe and then the Santa Anita Derby when you couldn't be there because of COVID-19. The the San Felipe, I mean, that's the race he ran second to Authentic. And, you know, he wasn't cranked up. He was off of, what, a seven, eight-month layoff. I mean, that was after the foot. Smith is an unbelievable jockey because you wouldn't want anybody on a horse like this maybe other than Mike Smith and a few others in the, in the, in the world. Mike knows this horse. We knew that he might come up a little short, uh, chasing a horse that had nothing but front-running speed. And uh, sure enough, uh, he, he closed, um, and he needed the race dearly. And that was proven by we had to play, maybe take too long again because the races didn't space themselves, right? The San Anita Derby got delayed. Uh, but we knew when he ran in the San Anita Derby, he would be – really tough and we beat really good horses that day he did it handily he wants to go further and there's uh, some other horses that are on the derby trail that look like they want to go further but you know our horse has that breeding and and that family line and the way he runs you know john said he barely touches the track he glides over the track well horses like that that have this kind of power that do that they don't come along very often so we're just really pleased with what how he's doing, and uh, the Derby was special. Didn't you know? Not getting to go 
family was, you know, at home. We were watching. They, my family, you know, roots really hard, and it was a fun, fun day. And you know, we're going to go down Saturday. They're finally going to let Saturday uh, one owner with a license watch the race at Del Mar. A lot of people think that's, you know, really great, but I miss my horses. I haven't seen my horses in five months. They're at the barn and, you know, I've not been allowed to go back there. So that's pretty tough. Well, truth be told, I'm not even an owner, but for the Whitney at Saratoga on Saturday, I'm actually going to go stand outside the gate on the far turn just because I too miss just seeing horses run in races in person. If anyone wants to come and is listening to this, feel free to join me. As someone with a long view of the sport, as we mentioned, particularly the sport in California, what do you make of the current state of thoroughbred racing there? What with the added scrutiny Santa Anita faced last year, the upheaval at the California Horse Racing Board, and the small field sizes for races, particularly stakes races in the state, for the last several years? Yeah, you know, I mean, I have a comment about that. I mean, I'm not a political person. They've asked me to to a number of times, uh, you know, get involved from from that arena. But my opinion is is that California horse racing is at a tipping point, and this coronavirus is 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 put another weight on the on the side of hey, it's in trouble. We have a lack of horses. We have a lack of uh, mid range horses, mid claiming horses, horses that you know used to be here by by the hundreds, filling races. The turmoil with whether it's the the boards, the CTPA, or the California Horse Racing Board, you know, those people are good people, and, and, and I'm sure they're trying very hard to figure out what works and what doesn't work, but they ran right into this virus, which, you know, people want to see the horses on TV. People want to be able to gamble who gambles. They want to enjoy, you know, certain horses. They want to enjoy their own horses. You know, so it's good that it's back. It's good that there's a lot of protocols. You know, I hope that we can find a way to support California horse racing over the next five to 10 years, because as of right now, you know, there is not enough horses here. There's not enough quality racing here, but there is the one for gambling and there is the one for people still to see these great horses. So I'm, you know, older, but I still love it. And uh, the excitement is still there. And um, yeah, it's a little bit different this year, but hopefully next year we'll be back on track. Lee Searing, co-owner of Santa Anita Derby winner Honor AP, joins us here on In the Gate. Honor AP will get one more Kentucky Derby tune-up on Saturday in the shared belief. Now, your wife and you are in your 70s, a high-risk group for COVID-19. What are your thoughts about going to the Kentucky Derby should Honor AP stay healthy enough to run in it? Well, you know, I work every day and my wife and I are very healthy. And yes, there's a concern, uh, but not a concern, you know, that would uh, today stop us from taking some people, which as of right now, I understand Kentucky is going to mandate testing of people that come and some sort of protocols, which I have no problem with. So as long as we are healthy, we'll practice distancing and practice wearing masks and practice doing the right things. And uh, I'm not concerned. To be honest about it, I'm not concerned about it. I've had to worry about my company uh, for so long, and I think we've come up with really good protocols. So I would not miss the Kentucky Derby unless there was an outbreak there. I'm guessing if he wins the race, there's not going to be a lot of social distancing going on. Well, I think Kentucky is talking about, you know, how to handle a limited amount of people. 
That's my understanding as of yesterday when I was talking to them because they're starting to set up the protocols and who can come and who cannot come, how many people they're going to let to see the race. Uh, it isn't going to be like other years. It'll be something. I just don't know what it is yet, but it'll be it'll be something. Speaking of the Kentucky Derby, one of your horses, Midcourt, got a good look and a good fight from the horse who ended up on the wrong side of Derby history last year. Midcourt is the leader. Maximum security trying hard a length and a half behind, and they're into the stretch, and it's Midcourt off the turn. Maximum security comes up to him on the outside. Midcourt fighting him all the way down to the wire. Maximum security has the lead. Midcourt, it's going to be a photo finish. Was it maximum security? Was it Midcourt? Maximum security was first. How do you feel about that race, the San Diego? Well, it was a, it was an interesting run race. Midcourt is a very quirky horse. John Sheriff has done an, an amazing job with a horse that wouldn't even go onto the racetrack without bolting. And I give this horse to John Sheriff, and he took nine months to swear the horse away, much like a horse whisper would, you know, get a horse mentally turned around. But he's still a mental horse where, you know, you've got to kind of let him do it his way. Uh, we know that now after these races, I think he's nine out of ten in the money with John Sheriffs, that he wants to be running in the clear. He can come from behind. He does like to maybe follow the pace a lot more. And it's set up that way when he ran against uh, Maximum Security the other day. Uh, Victor had an opportunity to take the lead. And John Sadler's horse uh, actually moved real quick, which put Maximum Security in maybe an uncomfortable position. That kind of didn't help midcourt because he didn't get that breather that, you know, maybe he could have gotten. But this horse was so tough. He wanted to win. He always wants to win. He lays his body down. And you know what? That was kind of a a nose that could have been a nose our way. Really proud of my horse. And he's got some big races left in him. He's just a wonderful uh, horse to be around. I mean, he needs, he needs some more press, I'll tell you that. He doesn't get any love, this horse. As was the case then, as is the case in the shared belief, as is the case when you race at the top level, particularly in California, you go up against the Bob Baffert Army, and you yourself have said how competitive you are. What has Bob Baffert's success done for those of you who have to battle him all the time? Well, I'm, I mean, obviously Bob Baffert, one of the best trainers in the world, and, you know, he has an awful lot of people backing him. He has an awful lot of good horses and it is just eye-catching to be out there and see the quality of horses that Bob Baffert buys, which is where it starts. You know, I've said for the 15 years that we've run against Bob and obviously not as much as, you know, we are now, but you know, it's a fun experience to, to take on Bob Baffert with a good horse. Uh, and you better have a good horse most of the time to run against Bob Baffert. So He's the one that California needs to be able to find a way to get more horses so that we can run against, you know, people like Bob, you know, to where these fields are fuller, racing is more fun, the gambling opportunities are better, and I will be one of those as far as I'm concerned. But uh, we are racing across the United States now. In fact, we have a string in Kentucky with a wonderful trainer, Cherie DeVoe out of Kentucky and uh, Peter Erden has a number of my horses here in California, but I'm not afraid to race wherever the racing is. And one more on honor AP in most years, you of course simply would have springboarded off that Santa Anita Derby win to head to Louisville. 
but it's 12 weeks between that race and the Kentucky Derby. So what do you hope he gets out of the shared belief? Well, we don't have to win. There's no doubt we want to win. There's no doubt that the horse needs a good race. He's a lightly raced colt. And I think John would say that, you know, we want a good trip. We want to come out of it healthy. He needs to get a lot out of it. And then, you know, we can move on. So we just need to get as much out of this race. And hopefully we're the best horse. And, you know, we really had a great day. And we certainly wish you the best of luck, Lee Searing. Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes. Best of luck in the shared belief. Thank you for the call. Our thanks once again to Lee Searing and Umberto Rispoli. In 1998, American sprint star Dennis Mitchell was caught with his testosterone level too high. He claimed he'd drunk five beers and had sex with his wife four times. The sport's governing body told Dennis Mitchell bye-bye. Tyler Hamilton, Lance Armstrong's teammate, blamed an absorbed twin baby brother for a stem cell supply that created his drug woes. And tennis star Richard Gasquet said he made out with a woman who had residual cocaine on her nose. So now I hear Bob Baffert say that the reason that Gamine and Charlatan failed tests for lidocaine is because his assistant who was with them touched the horses a little too hard and the medicine from his patch somehow reached their veins. But lidocaine patches are worn on the back, so unless he backed into his horses, perhaps to scratch an otherwise hard-to-reach spot, that drug excuse will live among the immortal ones we've mentioned but for the sport, it's another embarrassing blot. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course, in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And if one of those reviews happens to make its way to someone at America's Best Racing, maybe we end up in their Fan Choice Awards for Best Podcast this year, where we should have been last year. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope you're safe and healthy as you listen to this, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>